Welcome everybody, this is the Christian Marauder. Have you ever wondered what Satan's game is? Is Satan an idea? Is he a philosophy? Is he a figment of people's imagination? Is he really real? And if real, why was he allowed to exist in the first place? Well, today, folks, we are going to look at these topics and more on the Christian Marauder. But before we dive into all this and begin this show, let me ask you all watching on YouTube a question. How many of you like to hear subjects that the church does not like to talk about, like Bible prophecy. That's rarely talked about anymore. How about Nephilim? You don't hear too much about them. You don't hear too much about UFOs and abductions. You don't hear a whole lot, really, of any really true theology. It's kind of hard to find true theology being taught. How many of you like to hear about, you know, subject matters about the cult and the New Age movement, you know, the world events, um, the advancements of the AI, artificial intelligence, robotics, so forth, uh, social trends, secret societies, uh, spiritual warfare. How many of you like to hear and hear subjects like, you know, the rise of the occult and witchcraft, who the old gods are, and plus so much more? Well, you get that kind of teaching from the Daily Renegade, from the Peck Report, from Apollo nearing with Seth McVeigh. Uh, how about Get Real with Cody Peck? We hear, um, you know, this show, for example, we talk about those things. You know, you even have Gary Wayne, the author of the Genesis 6 conspiracy here, called The Christian Contrarian, doing his show. You have Ryan Peterson, who wrote about the Nephilim, and he talks of Bible prophecy in the show Beginning and the End. You have The Radical Christian, which I like, with Drew Graffa. And you have Beauty in the Bible and Moms and Miracles. You have Through the Black Uncensored and so much more on the Daily Renegade. I tell you, you have a lot of stuff. You have articles. So please don't forget that you can become part of something new and help build up the Daily Renegade and help Josh Peck set up a Christian platform in case, and you heard the routine, social media pulls the plug again. I mean, I've, I've got a, a Facebook group that I was doing a live stream, and one of my live streams got axed. <laughs> I don't know what I said in it, but whatever I said must offend it somebody. But social media can pull the plug anytime. In order to not to do that, we got to have a Christian platform so you can help Build a Christian platform by becoming a member of the Daily Renegade for $10 a month or $100 a year. And you will hear all the uninterrupted shows on the Daily Renegade website on the topics that interest you. How do I do that? Well, just click on the link below. Well, as you're watching this, you'll see the link below. And click on it and become a member today. Well, folks, we have a show for you today. So have you ever wondered who Satan is and why did God allow him to exist in the first place since he foreknows all things and how they will turn out? To find out, we need to know who Satan is first. And the short answer to that is that he's the adversary because that's the meaning of the name Satan. Satan means adversary, and that can be any type of adversary. In fact, there's all kinds of adversaries. There are a lot of little adversaries too, like fallen angels and demons, and these are under the command of one big chief adversary who we identify as Satan, the devil, the serpent of old, as the Bible describes him. Did you know that the devil was not originally created to be an adversary at all? Did you realize that? In fact, he was designed as an anointed guardian cherub. Now that begs a question, folks, I tell you. Why would God Almighty need guarding? The quick answer is that he doesn't. However, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 2, when Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, 
He saw these seraphim out there. These seraphim that, that were before God covered their faces with their wings. Why? And their feet. Why? Well, First Timothy chapter 6, 16 tells why, explains that God dwells in unapproachable light. Well, what does that mean? It means the brightness of God's full manifest presence. That's what it means. The brightness of God's full manifest presence would consume all unless one is prepared properly to see it. In fact, Isaiah was prepared properly to see it by having a coal of fire put to his mouth. Okay? You have to be properly prepared to be able to endure the full manifest presence of God. Okay? In Exodus chapter 33, this verses 17 through 23 about Moses reveals this. When Moses asked to see God's full glory, full manifest presence, and God answered in verse 20 simply, You cannot see my face, my full presence, for no man shall see me and live. Why is that? The answer is simple. God dwells in unapproachable light. Due to the nature of God's full manifest presence, if revealed all at once, is too much and would consume everything. So God reveals himself as he is by, in truth by revealing his triune nature in theophanies. This is brought out in Exodus chapter 33, verse 20 to 23. But God, I'm going to inject the Hebrew uh, words for God in here so you can see this. Out of the New King James, it reads, But God... Elohim said, You cannot see my face, my presence, my full presence, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord, Yahweh, said, Here is a place by me, and you will stand on the rock. So it shall be, while my glory passes by, that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. Then I'll take away my hand, and you'll see my back. But my face, and this means meaning here his full manifest presence shall not be seen. Why? Because, as I say, the full manifest presence would consume. You have to be properly prepared for it, because evil and sin and stuff cannot dwell in the presence of God. Okay? So why did God need covering guardian angels in the first place? The answer is to protect creation from his unapproachable light so it would not consume creation until it has been properly prepared to fully behold his full splendor at an appointed time. And that's a tall statement. Can you prove that from the Bible? Yes. If you read Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 about to Genesis, and then you jump into Revelation chapter 21 and 22, you'll get your answer. In fact, Revelation chapter 21 and 22 mentions when all creation is ready to receive and able and prepared to receive the full manifest glory of God is when the new heavens and earth are made and the former things pass away for a reason. Think about it. So before Satan became the adversary, he was one of these covering cherubim. He was an archangel. At first he was not evil. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 through 19, and verses 12 through 14, it tells us before this cherubim, this archangel rebelled, that he was the seal of perfection, that he was full of beauty, he was full of wisdom, he was perfect in beauty. He was in Eden, the garden of God. And what does that mean? Well, some of you who follow Michael Heiser and the people at Skywatch, as well as other theologians out there, this is the Divine Heavenly Council, where the Lord can meet with his created beings that he made with intelligence, that he designed to help maintain creation. 
things. In fact, God made man there to be part of the heavenly council, carrying out God's life-giving instructions and maintaining his creation here on earth. In other words, all, what are all the angels? Why, what are they maintaining here? They are preparing all creation to handle God's full glory in the future, as mentioned in Revelation chapter 21 and 22. Think about, I want you to think about why, why this is. God is preparing. Keep tracking with me. We're going to explore this and a whole lot more. I'm, I'm going right fast, but we are going to explore this. Hold on to your horses here. You see, God has a plan laid out before the foundation of the world, before all creation. And during my after-death experience, I wrote about in my book titled, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion, that before the perfect can come, one must first remove dross. I don't really get a chance to talk about this subject too much, and I always wanted to, but now that I have a, a platform here, we're going to discuss this. What does that mean? You see, God did not preordain to make the devil fall. God's foreknowledge is not the mechanism by which God predestines something. And I want to give you an example. I foreknow that if one drinks poison, they will die. Okay? One's foreknowing, my foreknowing, does not make it happen. Okay? You see, entities that God created, are created with free moral will, can choose either to drink poison or to poison another with. Okay? Just think about it. Because God foreknows beforehand what free moral agents will do with poison does not mean he made them to do the deed. That would make God the author of evil. Well, how is that possible? In fact, James chapter 1, verse 17 declares this principle about God from the New King James. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God cannot deny who and what he is, being God. If so, he would not be God. In fact, God lives true to himself, and God is all-knowing, yet he is just to all, he gave the gift of life to his creation. He created entities to exercise intelligence and reason with free moral will. And because without this, there's absolutely no relationship could be based upon mutual truth, trust, love, and responsibility at all. you got to understand, God is a God of truth. Keep tracking with me. I'm going someplace here. God has an absolute sense of justice he cannot deny. In fact, God cannot deny himself in any aspect of his character traits or his nature. In fact, he is the only true righteous one out there, and thus he swears to his own hurt, folks, like the Bible says. God is just. He's even-handed to all his intelligently created beings. God is all-knowing and foreknows what each being will do and be like and how each relates to his call to return back to him or, what, or if they will obey his call or not. You see, God is sovereign and more able to work through all things together for his ultimate good to create a new heavens and earth that can bask in the full light of his manifest presence of goodness all in right relationship with him and each other with no chance of rebellion ever again see god is sovereign and he has a plan to achieve this by his sovereignty he can use evil to make good come forth after all before the perfect can come one must first remove dross think about it God does this justly way beyond what we can fully fathom in our pea brains here. In fact, let's look at God for a second. The Lord reneges on no gift, calling, or promise. That's what it says in the Bible. His foreknowledge foresaw the poison of sin and rebellion happen. But he will refine. He will test the heart 
to draw the poison out, deal with it, and get rid of it all in due time. God cannot help but being who he is, all-knowing, kind, merciful. He's a God of the living. He's holy, just. He's all-powerful. He keeps his word and does not revoke his gifts, as Romans 11.29 says. The gifts and callings of God are irrevocable. Yes, the Lord God foresaw the devil's rebellion and does not renege on the gift of life because he foresaw it. He has a plan. In due time, the dross will be justly removed. God has a plan, foreknown as the best plan, to display his all-powerfulness to remove the dross in the most profoundly just, fair, even-handed way beyond what we even can consider or even imagine. Now, with this backdrop in place, why did this covering cherubim fall in the first place? Well, before the devil fell, his place was before God, most likely, and I'm saying most likely, protecting creation from being consumed by the brightness of God's full glory. He is described in Ezekiel 28 as being decked out in all manner of precious gems and, and gold. Verse 13 of Ezekiel chapter 28, 28 describes him as the chief musician and the giver of wisdom. Let's look at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 14 out, out of the New King James where God calls him the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. In other words, this anointed cherub who covers, and it was established by the Lord, you know, he was on the holy mountain of God. He was part of the divine assembly. This means, like most scholars agree on, that he was a head archangel. And he walked where none could go, in the fiery presence of God, in that unapproachable light, if you will. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 15 in the New King James, it reads, You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Notice, iniquity was found in him and it was not placed. I wrote about that in my book. Iniquity was found in him and not placed. Why would an all-powerful, all-knowing God allow this to happen? Foreknowing the results of his iniquity and sin rebellion would have on God's creative order here. And there was a rebellion in heaven and all the stuff that happened. Well, let's find out. Again, I wrote in my book, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion, this phrase, Before the perfect can come, one must first remove the dross. Why? So all creation can behold the full majesty of God at an appointed time. Before you think and write me off as some crazy lunatic, does the Bible teach this? Yes. Romans 8 verses 19 and 21 clarifies this out of the New King James I'm reading. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains together until now. This is talking about the new heavens and earth that are going to come, not any event prior to that other than the new birth and becoming born-again Christians. So before the perfect can come, one must first remove the dross that God foresaw needed to be dealt with in the most fair and even-handed way ever. Like it says in the Bible, the Lord is slow to wrath, okay, he's slow to anger, he's very slow, he's very patient, he's very slow to anger. In other words, 
The Lord God is preparing creation to handle his full manifested presence at an appointed time. And he had a plan for this because he foresaw that creatures with, with free moral will would, uh, what they would happen, and he has a plan to remedy that, okay? Recall, Jesus said this about God. God is the only good. Only God is good. Yeah, people can do and maintain certain amounts of goodness in their lives, but they can't maintain it. Only God is good. To live in that full goodness of God, the dross has to be removed first. If not, it uses goodness to gain advantage. Think of some political parties. They use goodness to take advantage of and acquire power and kill you with it, okay? So how could the devil rebel and become the adversary? Because, you know, I used to say this when I was an atheist. If I were God, you know, I'd make the devil, he'd be toast. Okay, so well, let's just find out. Look at Isaiah 14. Here Satan is known as Lucifer, the shining one, where, where he said in his heart that he would ascend his throne above God and rule all, even God. Why would God allow this? Why did he not stop it outright? Let's look at this question. And the short answer is, God cannot deny who he is, nor can he deny his gifts and callings. The devil thought he could get away with rebellion by pitting God's good character traits against each other in hopes of proving to God himself that he cannot live true to his own nature and thus make God stumble in some way as not being able to live true to himself and thus not God. And thus he exalts his throne above God. The devil knew God as a life-giving God, for example, and will never act contrary to his life-giving nature. Okay? The devil knew God takes back no gift, promise, or callings. Remember, he walked before God. He knew God does not take away life and temporarily got away with rebellion by taking advantage of the goodness of God that does not renege on no gift, promise, or calling. Okay? The devil saw creation. He wanted it for his own and thinks he can rule it better than God. Okay? He knew God never acts unjustly, nor will God act with injustice, just like the Bible tells us. He also knew God would never clear the guilty, but he also knew the Lord was full of mercy and grace too. He could exploit this too. He thought he could play these traits against God in order to overthrow him. I bet you didn't realize that. He reasoned one way or another that he could get away with rebelling against God and convince one-third of the angels to rebel with him in this endeavor. To all work together, united together, pitting God's character traits against each other in the vain hope to outsmart God, how? By proving to God that he cannot really live true to his own standards. Thus the devil would exalt his throne above God. And in fact, Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 16 explains how this iniquity came about in the devil, how this idea was formed. Let's look. It's very important here. I bet you haven't heard this stuff. This is some deep theology here. And, and I'm speaking from things that I've learned in my after-death experience that I spent years searching out and finding out every, all the answers are in the Bible. What I'm teaching you is in the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 16, out of the New King James reads, and God's talking to the devil, By the abundance of your trading and trafficking, you became filled with violence within, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you out as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. In other words, the devil rebelled because iniquity was found in him. How? Okay, by the abundance of his trading and trafficking. What in the world was he trading? 
Is this talking about space aliens trading and going around like they're just miners and, and looking for things and they decided to create a, what, a slave race and all that other junk? That's not what trading means here. The word trading means also trafficking. Okay, making merchandise out of something, but trafficking something. You can traffic all kinds of things. In fact, I'm going to go to the book of First Enoch, chapter 9, verse 6, and reveals part of what was trafficked. Keep following me, and this will begin to make sense. And it talks about Azel. Now, Azel is not Satan. Some people think he is. I don't have a problem with that. But Azel would be the devil's second in command because uh, the head archangel who fell put Azel up to do this and sent them forth to the earth to corrupt mankind. Okay, I'm just, just giving you an idea here. So, speaking of Azel, and this, this little word about Azel gives you an idea it paints a picture of what was being trafficked and it says thou seest what azel has done that's satan's second in command who hath taught all unrighteousness on earth and revealed the eternal secrets which were in heaven which men were striving to learn did, did you hear that that azel the devil's second in command taught all unrighteousness on earth and revealed the eternal secrets which were in heaven which men were striving to learn. Folks, I can go off on this one. I can tell you all kinds of things. The trafficking here is the secret things, the eternal secrets which were in heaven. That's what they were trafficking. So by the abundance of Satan's trafficking, he became filled with violence within, and, he, and you sinned. Therefore I cast you out as profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you O covering cherub notice the Lord says you became filled with violence within and you sin okay this is the devil's own doing iniquity was found in him and iniquity came because because the devil thought could traffic the secret knowledge of God through Azel to corrupt humanity because they want to know the secrets too and the secrets are how to manipulate God's character traits against each other to get what you want and thus become God how did Adam and Eve fall? They wanted to become like God. There you got it. So notice what it says next in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 17, out of the New King James. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom, and for the sake of your splendor, I cast you to the ground, and I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. God says it's your heart. You corrupt it. Notice that what God did not say. God did not say, I caused you to be corrupted. I made you to do these things. In fact, listen to this. The Bible teaches God cannot lie. He speaks the truth. If he did make the devil do this, the Bible would plainly say it. In fact, it does not. The blame goes completely on the devil. Somebody created with free moral will. Augustinian Calvinism has it all wrong in this regards. Because... It is written in Ezekiel chapter 28, You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities and by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. Verse 19 out of the New King James. All who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you, and you have become a horror and shall be no more forever. Before that time comes, the devil knows God created creation with the expectancy to be able to handle God's full glory. 
and he began trafficking anything to stop God from achieving that end. He became Satan, the adversary to God and to man. He seeks to stop this by means of corruption, by chaos. In his own free moral reasoning heart, this kind of iniquity was found. And it is game on now, folks. And I want to welcome you who have become Christians and who are Christians or having a, a struggle of their life. Welcome to the war. We were born into a, a spiritual war, like it or not. But God did not leave us orphans. He came and gave us the Holy Spirit to overcome. And we will talk about that near the end of the program here. So let's just continue on track. Satan's game is to create ruin and destruction, steal, lie, and corrupt creation so bad, God has to unjustly destroy it. Get the picture here. Keep tracking with me. This gets deep. Enter humanity. And hypothetically speaking, God may have created mankind to fill the vacancy left by the rebellion. Just, just put that out there. Just think about it. Just let it roll around. It's a hypothesis. Just think about it. God made man lower than the angels, yet he allowed Adam and Eve to reside in Eden, the garden of God, the heavenly council, as part of his heavenly council to govern the earth as God's representative, governing the earth according to his image and likeness yes, of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control by righteousness and truth. That's how we exercise dominion. We exercise dominion by exhibiting love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness. We, we govern by righteousness and truth that comes from God. We reflect that. That's how we exercise dominion. That's how we tend and take care of things. That's what we were designed to do. That's what Jesus came to restore by the Holy Spirit. That's what the fruit of the Spirit is all about. Let's get back on track. Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 19. God tells Adam, if you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will die, die. I spoke about this last message. I want to reiterate this. The Hebrews' um, vernacular and grammar would put two words together and for, for emphasis. Okay? But it actually reads, in the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die, die. That's what it means. And, and when we translate it, surely die. We miss the truth that's being said here. You see, the devil tempted Adam and Eve, and they fell into rebellion, and now they will die, die. Notice there are two deaths. Look at Revelation chapter 20, verse 5, about the first resurrection. And in verse 6 out of the New King James, it reads, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. Speaking about the millennial. Folks, there is a second death. And in the garden, you will die, die. There are two deaths mentioned in Genesis chapter 2. And Second Samuel gives another clue out of Second Samuel 14, 14. You keep tracking with me. This gets deep. The New King James says, For we will all surely die and become like water spilled on the ground. I'm going to stop, interject. We will die. Our mortal flesh will die. Let's continue. Which cannot be gathered up again. Let's look at the next part. Yet God does not take away life. I'm going to interject here. God created us having an eternal spirit. Okay? It says in Ecclesiastes, He put eternity in the heart. There's too many scriptures talking about how God you know, gave the gift of life. Okay? He, yet God does not take away life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. Folks, this is a profound prophetic scripture that has ramifications beyond what it was originally intended for. See, you see, we are mortal beings first. We fell. 
a mortal will die. And then the spiritual nature of man comes after death and lives on. Because of the sin and rebellion of, of humanity, and from what Adam did, we have a sin nature, so we die, okay? Okay, we do not cease to exist. However, by Jesus' works of redemption on the cross is how we banished ones can return back to the Lord. Are you following me? You see, uh, how else can I explain this? Um, when we fell in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were banished away from the presence of God, and so are we. Okay? So the Lord provides the means so his banished ones can return to him. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 54 and 55 out of the New King James. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? Think on this a bit. Our mortal flesh dies, and as a Christian, we're redeemed by the cross of Christ and what Jesus did, not our own works. And our spiritual nature lives with God, and death is swallowed up in victory. Where is your sting, O Hades? Where is your victory? Think about it. The devil corrupted things to get God to act contrary to nature, to unjustly punish man and destroy man, proving that God cannot keep his word, saying to Adam, I give you dominion, tendon, keep the earth. If that was violated, how could God really be God if he can't keep his word? So death is swallowed up in victory. The banished ones are returned to the Lord through the work of Christ. And O death, where is your sting? And O Hades, where is your victory? Amen. Think on that a bit. If there was no cross of Jesus, then mankind would be ending up in the second death, the lake of fire. And thus God would be proven unable to keep his word for man to exercise dominion, tend and keep this earth as God said to do, that he promised. He's faithful to carry out his word. Isaiah 55:11 talks of that. The devil's plan seeks to have God unjustly get rid of mankind was defeated by the cross. The devil is exposed justly along with what he is like and stands for is exposed before all. Just like Ezekiel chapter 28 where we read says all the kings of the earth will see him. And also all the works of those who follow him will be seen in a living way that actually tests the hearts of free moral beings justly. Despite God foreknowing the final result, sin remains the creature's own doing and not God. And God fixes the issue because he foreknows and he has a plan. He's sovereignly able to work through all things justly, fairly, way beyond what we can even think or imagine. Now, folks, the devil and his fallen watchers are spiritual beings. They're utterly corrupt and they cannot be redeemed. Why? They view, they view God's full majesty of goodness and mercy and truth and all that God is as the means to exploit the secret things and traffic the secret things and to get what they want. They want to pit God's nature and character traits against each other and teach humanity that way. And in the book of Enoch, First Enoch says that people are willing for that. I tell you what, you talk about um, some stuff going on in the church talking talking about how people want to hear this secret revelations and they're being misled by demonic forces and, and, and oh man I won't get into there just I'll save that for another show um so this mean this is what they did they cannot be redeemed because they beheld the glory of God and now they view the glory of God as something they can exploit for their advantage 
And the Bible says this for a reason. Do not take the name of the Lord in vain. And it takes on a deeper, deeper meaning because taking the name of the Lord in vain, one aspect of that means using God's name to, and exploiting his character traits to get what you want and escape punishment. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Well, the devil's crowd views God's love as something to exploit and take advantage of. This comes to another question. In the eons past, did the angels at one time have a voluntary choice to be sealed faithful to God or not? The short answer, the Bible is doesn't really say or address this question about angels at all. Nor does the Bible really give an in-depth history of the angelic realm in any great detail. It is possible that during the rebellion the angels were sealed because what is clear is that when they rebelled, God made hell just for them so there was something going on there that we just have to just let that remain till we get to eternity deuteronomy 29 29 says the secret things belong to god unless he reveals them he hasn't revealed this in the bible so i can't i'm just saying it's very possible the angelic realm at some time in the past during the rebellion was sealed one two-thirds of them sealed faithful to God of their free own moral volition, and one-third fell in rebellion. And since they are spiritual beings, they have no other chance because now they are sealed. However that came about is mere speculation. I'm just trying to answer a question I really don't know the answer to. Okay, so why the devil? Why was he allowed to exist? Let's get to this question next. Keep tracking with me. I'm building. We're following. Keep tracking. The answer is simple. Before perfection can come, one must first remove the dross that was foreseen. You see, God is sovereign. He can work through all things to achieve and achieve what Revelations chapter 21 and 22 talk about. The new heavens and earth where righteousness dwells. No sin, no sickness, no death. All the old things have passed away. This is God's goal where he can live with his entire creation and expose his full majesty. I will even dare say this in Revelations chapter 3, talking about the Philadelphian church, folks. The Lord's going to give his new name, his new character to the ones who will be made pillars in the house of God. I won't get into that right now, but just, just a little, little food for thought. Well, the, the Lord God can use evil that he foresaw would happen in the devil to achieve great good in ways way beyond what our pea brains can ever imagine. The thing about being all-powerful and all-knowing is that God foreknows and that he knows everything and he can even use evil to work good. And that is a theological truth that many theologians have talked about, too numerous to get into now. Before the perfect can come, one must first remove the dross. Think about it. I'm going deep, folks. Keep thinking. You might have to listen to this several times before you get it. Folks, you know, sin entered the world by the fall. Now the game is on. In the garden, the devil swindled Adam and Eve out of their birthright and became the god of this world system that seeks to cause God to act contrary to his own nature game on we are in a war and jesus came to redeem lost humanity the banished ones so one can freely return to god by the power of the cross and his resurrection also the gospel restores our gifts and callings 
and most importantly, restores our relationship back to God that was destroyed by the fall. Satan and his kingdom fight hard on earth to stop this, how? By killing, robbing, destroying, swindling, slandering, accusing, and making chaos in the world. His game affects all of us on earth, so the unsaved have more of a relationship with darkness, and it shows, doesn't it? Just look around in the world. Look how people have more relationship with darkness. And we Christians are supposed to have more relationship with God, but darkness keeps attacking, right? We're going to address this shortly here and see how to get out of it. So we're going to find out how to get out of it in just a few minutes here. The devil's game affects all of us on earth, so the unsaved just simply continue to have this relationship with darkness, and it shows. And the devil destroys and ruins families and brings darkness into families and takes fathers and mothers out of the home. So children grow up into adults who know only how to have a relationship with the devil's darkness. They know no other way to live, and they feel trapped. I gotta tell you, if you live in an abusive home, it has its effect. It causes a person to live in relationship with that darkness. They're, they're held captive to always thinking, all is lost. I'm a nothing. I was born this way. I, you know, all I know is constant fear. All I know is walking on eggshells. It makes you fearful of people. You don't know what people think. You mind read that they're always out to get you. You live in a world of self-defeat. You live in a world of being afraid. And you simply do not know how to live in, in life. Am I speaking to anyone here? The devil gets people that contrary to how God made them. So they become pompous and arrogant as well. Always need to be right. And to dominate others. To rule them and oppress them. So that the oppressed people always live in constant fear. Am I right? They don't know how to live. Am I right? Soon. This is all the world you ever know, and it follows you around, and you can't shake it no matter how hard you try. And it becomes so much of a part of you, like an arm or a leg, that you just can't get rid of it. So you end up living your life by the standards of what? Adultery, trying to find some solace in that, fornication, lewdness, um, uncleanness. Some people even get into idol worship and sorcery and witchcraft, trying to try to escape from the pain so to speak or to acquire power so people will live by the standards of hatred contentions jealousies outbursts of wrath selfish ambitions and heresies envy murders and drunkenness and rivalries okay people only know how to have a relationship with these things and it's viewed as normal hollywood extols the virtues of revenge and selfish ambitions and heresies and murders and uh, witchcraft and sorcery as the only way to live. So people are brought up with their sin nature constantly being moved to have relationship with darkness and they know no other way to live and they're blind to any other way out. So is that you? Have I described anybody listening here? That's the devil's game is to kill, rob, and destroy your relationship with God so you only know how to have a relationship with darkness. That's the devil's game plan. The Lord's going to expose this on earth. Before the perfect can come, he has to remove the dross. You see, the devil wants to keep you in relationship with his darkness and away from developing a personal relationship with God that we are all originally designed to have, that Jesus came to restore. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 says the same thing, and I'm paraphrasing, that the devil and his minions blinds the minds of people 
but that God commands light to shine out of darkness so people can know the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So they can see, start seeing the manifest glory of God in slow degrees like Isaiah did and have his mouth purge his sins purge so he can see the full majesty of God and say, I am undone by it. Hallelujah. I'm going to love you, Lord, freely because you saved me out, out of this darkness. See, the devil blinds us by keeping us in darkness so we have a constant relationship with bad thinking. So we have terrible, torturous thoughts. We go to church and all smiles, but we can't tell the people about the terrible, torturous thoughts that, that cause self-sabotage in our life. That might be a bad confession, whatever. We believe lies, and we, we believe that what has been taught to us, that we will never amount to anything. We've been robbed of our hope and dreams. In fact, the devil makes family and society enforcers of darkness to keep people repeating these types of behaviors and modes of thinking so that they become the children of the devil without them even knowing it. Another way this happens, the devil will have people sin against you by abuse. And this shapes you to have a relationship with darkness also. And you feel doom and despair, no hope. Some people develop a vicious anger and they always have this repeating self-destructive behavior that drives you to seek all manner of addictions to escape reality and the pain or seek power and prestige or go into the occult to get more power to escape the pain. You always will find the wrong person, always find the wrong guy or gal in a relationship. You always will seem to attract the wrong people because you're living in darkness. Some people will try to escape this by seeking selfish glory and to control everything. And when in their midst of their control, they sin against you. And so that you have a relationship with devil's darkness. That's Satan's game. All enforced by demonic taskmasters to keep you in relationship with darkness at all costs. But there is good news to the Christian spirit and the downtrodden. Jesus came and died on the cross exposing the devil's game. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says, By the cross Jesus disarmed the principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. And I just read out of the New King James. Jesus beat their game on the cross and exposed what iniquity is, what darkness is, and he defeated it. Remember, before the perfect can come, first requires one to remove dross. And God does so very justly and fair beyond belief what we even can think or imagine. Remember 2 Samuel 14, 14. Yet God does not take away life, but he devises means so that his banished ones are not expelled from him. How? By the power of Jesus' death and resurrection so that we can have newness of life. No longer bound to have a relationship with darkness. Now we can know God and live as John chapter 17, verse 13. Eternal life is to know you, the one and only true God. Do you get the picture here? God created us to walk in the cool of the day with him, to be in the part of the heavenly council, to have a relationship with him, with the Lord, and to be able to shine his nature and character to govern this earth by, by love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, truth, and righteousness. Okay? The fruit of the Spirit is how we are to govern our lives. And the devil is doing everything in his power to destroy that. So God would just wipe out mankind and say to God, you are unable to keep your word to man. So his throne exalts over God. That will not happen because that was defeated 
on the cross. Now the banished ones can return to the Lord. And if, as the word of God says, if the devil would have knew these things, he would have never crucified Jesus. Because now he who placed our faith and trust in him by our free moral will, because he called to us and we answered the phone, we, we, don't, we stop ignoring his text. We stop ignoring him when we answer the phone and say, Jesus, I'm tired of living in this darkness. I need a change in my life. And he comes and he does that and he teaches you how to walk free of your darkness. The devil is defeated. And guess what? We will live in the new heavens and earth where no sin, no sicknesses is. We will dwell and because we have been properly prepared to dwell in the full manifest presence of God never to rebel again, fully, totally sealed forever the Lord's own, never to rebel again. And that should just make you shout hallelujah and do cartwheels, folks. I'm telling you, that's how, you can go up and do a Pentecostal happy dance, I tell you. So we're no longer bound to have a relationship with darkness. We can know God now and live. With this relationship with Jesus, he gives us his authority over the devil and over the relationships that we have with darkness that control us. Jesus said in let's see, Luke chapter, chapter 10, verse 19, he says, Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, the Lord gives us back our authority that was lost in the garden. And he seals us as his own so that our, we have our names written in the book of life. Hallelujah. So by the power of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have this newness of life. We have our authority restored to us. We're no longer to be bound in a relationship with darkness because what Jesus Christ did on that cross freed us of that. He made a public spectacle of the enemy. He triumphed over them in it. He exposed what iniquity is, who wants to slay goodness. Jesus went about doing good and healing all manner of sickness and disease. God's people are to reflect that goodness, and the world will persecute you and put you to death for it too, because they love darkness more than light. That's what it means, folks. Because people love their darkness. They don't want to be free of it. But the Lord constantly is calling them, constantly texting them, constantly trying to get them to answer the phone. See, the sin is the creature's own. Just because God foreknows the final result of something doesn't mean he ca that causes it to happen. He just plans accordingly for it. Because in doing so, before the perfect can come, he has to remove the dross. That dross is the darkness of the devil that is destroying your life. He, so that's keeping you away from relationship with God and finding how to live life, not as a slave to darkness anymore. How not to be this way, folks. With this relationship with Jesus, he gives us authority over the devil, like I just said. And over, and you have power over the relationships with darkness that control you. So I got to ask you, how has the pain of rejection, betrayal, and abandonment keep you relating to such darkness? How has it? With that, folks, I feel like we just need to pray. So I just want you to put your hand on your heart. If you're tired of living in darkness, and you're tired, and you're a Christian, and you find yourself in repeating patterns, and you don't know what to do, and you feel like giving up. Why don't you put your hand on your heart and just pray with me. And let's just get rid of some of this darkness right now. 
And I'll get back in with some final words on the message and shortly right after this. Let's take time to pray. Just repeat after me. And I will post this prayer in, uh, on the screen here too so you can follow along as well. Just pray. Say, Heavenly Father. Put your hand on your heart. Point of contact here. Say, Heavenly Father, I come before your heavenly throne just as I am without one plea. Come on, say it with me. Heavenly Father, I come before your heavenly throne just as I am without one plea. Against you and you only have I sinned by having more of a relationship with darkness than with you. Forgive me. Have mercy. Release this darkness far from me. Stop it from following me. In Jesus' name. Show me and search me inside out. Reveal to me what darkness I have relationship with and where it came from. I'll stop for a second. I want you all to think with your hands on your heart. Where did the darkness come from? Who betrayed you? Who abandoned you? Who neglected you? Who mocked you? Who scorned you? Who put you on trial? Who made you dance and you didn't want to dance? Who put a heavy burden on you? Okay, how did that affect you? How have you done that to other people? Folks, the Lord has good news. He wants to heal the trauma and the drama and the junk in your trunk that caused the darkness and you always have a relationship with it. So the bad thinking and bad thoughts will cease. Think about where it came from for a moment. So let's continue. Now just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, free me of this by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, free me of darkness hold. Release me from my relationship with darkness. Come on, repeat it again. Release me from my relationship with darkness. Release me now in Jesus' name. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit resurrection power. Raise me to new life. Guide me, Holy Spirit, so that I know the Lord God as friend, as my Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, I'm a child of God. Let your peace be upon me and restore unto me the joy of your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, folks, I hope this kind of makes sense because I, I went really, really quick and I want to see you get free of your darkness. I hope you understand why the Lord, despite foreknowing something, doesn't mean that he makes it happen. He did not make the devil and turn the devil into the devil because he foreknew the devil's reaction, what he would do. He just had a plan to get rid of the dross. This is the way that God designed things. Some people say it's on the, the law of thermodynamics, so to speak. Some people say this is based also on the law of physics. Well, maybe, I don't know. But, you know, before the perfect can come, you have to remove the dross. It speaks about that perfection coming in the new heavens and the new earth where righteousness will dwell. That's the whole purpose of God. So that we live with God in his full manifest presence. Revelations, I think chapter 22, tells us that there, there will be no sun shining in, in heaven, right? 
it's going to be the glory of the Lord shining in the new heavens and earth. You will bask in the unapproachable light because through Jesus Christ, you now can go through the unapproachable light and dwell with God forever in his full manifest presence where he reveals his new name, his new character to you of who he really is like because he proved how just and fair and righteous and holy he is by being slow to anger just to awe allowing free moral will working through all contingencies drawing you the banished ones back to himself in so many ways so that you surrender to him because you're so sick of eating quail and eating darkness that you throw up and you want to change in your life before the perfect can come the Lord must first remove the dross. That is the point. And folks, I learned this type of thing when after I came back from my after-death experience because I learned things. It was, um, I don't know how to explain it. I tried to explain it in my book the best way I could in my book, A Land Unknown. Please get a copy of that book, A Land Unknown, Hell's Dominion. And you can get it on Amazon or or Zulon Press's website, you can get it at Barnes & Noble. You just have to order it from your bookstore or get it on any Christian online seller. But please get the book, read it. There's more details than I can go into now. When you read it, you'll see what I'm saying. You'll, you'll begin to understand what it's like to be an after-death survivor <laughs> and come back and you know things and, and how it shapes shapes you and changes your life. And how you don't view the world like you used to. You don't, you're not controlled by the world. You're not controlled by all the selfish ambition out there. And you know that if people take advantage of you, God's going to deal with them. And you've got a reward in heaven that's far greater than what they took advantage of you from. You know, so I just want to let you know that God has everything mapped out, planned out. He has everything for you. He has he can work through all contingencies, and he gets his banished ones back. He gets the darkness out of you to prepare you to dwell in his state of perfection, where the light of the Lord shines in the new heavens and earth, and you can bask in its glow in the unapproachable light. You can be what God wanted you to begin, be from the beginning. Amen. Taking care of intending and keeping the precious things of God. Amen and amen before I leave, I want you all just to remember and go away with this one thought. Before the perfect can come, one must first remove the dross. Brothers and sisters of God, before the perfect can come, before that new heavens and earth can come, he has to remove the dross. I wrote about in my book, folks, that we live in what is known as the divine step. We always complain, well, why didn't God just snap his finger and get rid of it? Well, he did. We're living in, in the divine snap. I wrote about that in my book. And more reasons to get my book. Hallelujah. So, folks, before the perfect can come, you have to remove the dross fairly, righteously, all according to God's character traits. And the devil tries to traffic these secret things of God and, and cause people to sin that grace may abound and all kinds of things, folks. I tell you. He still traffics those things. And don't fall for it or you'll continue to live in darkness. The Lord wants to free you and restore you to who and what you are really like in Christ. And who he made you, designed all of us to be 
He wants to give you your purpose back. And I cannot tell you what your purpose in life is. Only the Lord can do that. Amen. Before I uh, end this, I just want to say there are a lot of Christians out there who are falling for these, this new age doctrine. They think it's of God where they have angels come and teach them new secret revelations from heaven. Yeah, I'm sure some of you have probably heard some of this stuff. In a future show, I'll probably talk about it and address it. And the Bible says, if any angel does not bring this gospel, let him be accursed. Here's what happens. These people start relying on that angel. They no longer will rely on the Bible. They'll cherry-pick verses out of the Bible to justify what the angel tells them, but they no longer will value the Bible. They get away from the Bible. To deceive them, they, they cherry-pick verses. But however, um, what happens is they keep getting a secret revelation. They keep following it, just like the book of Enoch, uh, chapter 9, verse 6 says, that men want to hear. And this secret knowledge that they got, and they start following after angels and start worshiping angels and without even knowing it. Worship means serving angels. they got to have an angel with them to heal them. They have to have this and that. Know this, out of John chapter 16, the Lord says, you have none to teach you, for the Holy Spirit will teach you. You don't need these angels to teach you. You have the Holy Spirit inside of you to teach you and to guide you into all truth. Yes, the Lord can send an angel to maybe to, to jerk the slack out of you, but the angel does his task and he goes back. That is a biblical principle found throughout the scripture. Angels of God will not allow you to worship them, nor will they keep you keep you hungry coming back for more so we have the occult being brought into the church where people are learning secret revelations and they don't even realize that they are sinning against god now as balaam taught balak to put a stumbling block to the children of israel this is what the devil's throne does he will teach you how to mix the occult into the church in order for god have to destroy you and get rid of you and in hopes that God will do it unjustly but God says in Revelation chapter 2 concerning Pergamos where that scripture is written a chance to repent so don't go chasing after angels yeah angels can be used of God and bear messages and so forth but then they do their task read it in the Bible the angels of God come they give you a message boom they're gone they go back to the heavenly council for the next task. <laughs> That's how it works. But if the angel hangs around and says, you need him to heal somebody, I'm going to give you secret revelations, you are walking in darkness. I'm just going to tell you, you're being led astray by angels masquerading as angels of light, messengers of light. And Satan knows how to masquerade as angels of light. So be cautious with that stuff. I, for some reason, I just feel like I have to warn some folks here who might be getting into that. Stay away from it. So with that, folks, remember, before the perfect can come, one must first remove dross. And that's it for today. Until next time, God bless you all. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>